Mother's Day. There will be no class, and we'll just pick back up the following weekend. We'll pick up there. We'll be in Romans chapter 7 then. Ezekiel chapter 47 is about the river of life that flows from the temple. And I studied it out, and it got, got, got to the point where Ezekiel is following the man with the line in his hand, who is Christ. And he measures out a certain amount, and it's, it's waters up to the ankles. So basically, this the, the, the way that it was, the way that this, the river was set up, basically, was it flowed from the, under the threshold of the temple, uh, right from the door, which the door is Christ. Uh, and it flowed from right underneath that, out from under the temple, and then it went right past the brazen altar, which is a type of Calvary. So it goes from Christ, right by the cross, cross, and it travels, and as it travels, it gets larger and larger, but not because of water from other streams are dumping into it, it just gets larger and larger. Uh, and it gets farther and far, you know, wider and all the different things deeper. And really, the, the, the river of life is the type of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from Christ. It's because of the cross that we can have it. So that's the idea from the door past the brazen altar, which is the cross, and then on out. And so the, the, it's measured out. I think it's 1,500 cubits or something like that. He measures it out, and then here is Ezekiel, and it's water to the ankles, which is a type of uh, salvation. And salvation, we have a lot more than just forgiveness of sins, but a lot of times that's just kind of, we just kind of keep it right there. But salvation is for right there. For us as human beings and believers, Especially if you are Pentecostal and spirit-filled, this can be a good old-fashioned just step on your toes because sometimes we think we're more mature because baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, the, in salvation, the truth is most Pentecostal believers who are so mature don't even understand everything that they have at salvation. And the message of the cross is the Lord's way of taking us all back to the very first part because we, we didn't get that right. We have at salvation, we have our sins washed away and forgiven. Now we got, we, we got that far. Praise God, we got that. But as far as victory over sin, how to live a victorious life, all of these things we didn't understand at all. And so we went and tried to do it a totally different way. And without anybody actually saying the truth, it doesn't work. <laughs> Which is, but we won't say that, but we just, because we just, we just keep trying. Well, maybe it's just me. We just keep trying, we keep trying. But yet, the truth is, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked for however many years. That's right. But we just won't admit to it. But so we just keep on. In a sense, we keep banging our head against the brick wall. But we, 
won't say anything. Let's not. We won't. We don't want to say anything. It's supposed to be a. I'm supposed to be a born again believer, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. So I, my uh, golly, I'm supposed to have big faith. I'm supposed to have victory over sin. My, I'm a giant in the faith, my Lord. <laughs> if someone were to find out what's going on in my personal life. And the things that I'm supposed to have victory over, but yet no one can see because I'm really good at keeping it hidden. So the message of the cross takes us right back to the beginning and said, well, you, you haven't understood this part. You, you haven't, you, you just got sins forgiven and then we just took off running, <laughs> but we didn't see everything that we had, how to have victory. The truth is, when you first get born again, you have everything that you need to run this race. You have everything that you need to run this race successfully to the end. Everything that you need is in Christ. And you've been placed into Christ at salvation. You, you literally begin the journey with every tool that you need. I mean, how would you, how would you like to start out your contracting? career and bang you had every tool that you would ever possibly need you never would have had to buy another one and you just set up right there from the beginning at, at i don't even know what, what what age did you start 18 19 20 21 21 at 21 years old if you would have started and you would have had everything that you would have needed that you would have needed at the very end of your all the wisdom, understanding, all the tools that you needed, all of it, if you had that right there at the beginning, yeah. it would your career would have looked totally different. We have that in Christ. Yeah. When we start the race, my Lord, you have everything that you need to finish the race. There's literally nothing else that you need. You need no other tool. You've already had victory over sin. You've got it. But we didn't know that, so we began to walk and run the race as though we didn't have it and that we had to achieve it. Or we had to gain it. So we'll get back, let's go back to now the river of life in Ezekiel. And it's water up to the ankles. And that's a type of salvation. Forgiveness of sin, victory over, victory over sin, the dominion of sin. All, you have all these things right there, right off the jump. At water up to the ankles, that's what you have. Yeah. <laughs> water up to the ankles, and you have enough to have victory over sin. I, see, I, as, as you see, it's a progression as it goes on. Yeah. Progression of really the spirit-controlled life. Because it's that that part is pro, that, that's a progression for all of us. Spirit controlled life. We just don't start off fully controlled by the spirit. I just yeah. that that's it's just a progression for us. There's a lot of there's a lot of denying of self that has to happen. Yeah. Not my will, but thy will be done. Uh, just all of these different things that have to take place that it's just it just the way that it is it just seems like it's just a progression it's just not like a bang but 
You have everything that you need to succeed right there in waters up to the ankles. Right there in salvation. You just step, you just one foot in, it's hard to even call it a river at that point. It's maybe just like a little brook, a little stream. And you have everything that you need right there. At salvation. And then he measures 1,500, the man with the line in his hand, Christ. Measures 1,500 again, and now it's waters up to the knees. And that is a type of prayer. Spirit controlled. A life that is more spirit controlled, you'll have a prayer life. You have to. You're dependent upon the Lord. That's the idea. You're so dependent upon the Lord that you have, you now have a prayer life. I'll just we'll just my prayer life wouldn't even be what it was it is today, which it's still. I look at it, I'm still like it's garbage. <laughs> but my prayer life would be what it is today if I wasn't if God didn't take me and put me somewhere where I had no choice but to look to Him. And it grew me in my prayer life because there was no other choice. Lord, if I don't spend time with you today, I won't make it. Lord, I've got to have, I've got to have your direction in, in this decision, in that decision. I've got to have your leading and your guiding. And what, do you, and what, what do you want me to preach to the youth? I can preach 50,000 messages because I went to Bible college. But just because I can sit down, look at the Bible, and come up and, and teach or preach a message, and it would still be good and doctrinally correct, but yet not a word in due season. Lord, I, what do you want me to preach? Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to sing? All of those things come into play. And you can't find that out if you don't have a prayer life. So you see more of a spirit-controlled life. First the ankles, then the knees. And then it's measured out more, 1,500 more, and then it's to the loins. And the type, it's a type of the, uh, the miracle-working power of the Lord. You want to see, we want to see the Lord move. But notice that it is a progression. And, and that we'll just take it into the natural. Just into the natural. If you were to go and begin to... Uh, we'll just use the Mississippi River. Because it's a big river. If you were to begin to step out from the bank into the Mississippi River, you don't all of a sudden end up in water up to the loins. To the waist. Or waters to swim in. You don't end up that way. First it's to the ankles and then to the knees and then that's just the natural way it works unless you have unless you're jumping off of a boat into the middle of the river it there's always a slope so it starts off you go to the beach you don't just you can run and as soon as you see water jump and you won't it's not going to be that deep <laughs> Starts at the ankles. Then as you continue to wade out into the waters, then to the knees, then to the waist. 
And then as you continue to grow up, go out into the water, just like the scripture said, then they went 1,500 more. And Ezekiel said, waters to swim in. That means that it's so deep that you actually, the river takes you where it wants. So deep that the river is the one that decides where you go. Because it's so deep. A river that has a current, you go try to swim against that and we'll see how far you get. <laughs> so you see the progression of the spirit-controlled life. Now, now that we've talked about all of those things, the Lord is, for my own personal life, for my own personal life, dealt with me. And then, just as a confirmation to my dad, more than anything, that's why I feel about New Life Worship Center. Right now, we and we do we want to see, we want to see. Wow, look, the heart of it is waters to swim in, yes. Lord. We want waters to swim in, yes. and just for my own personal life, Lord, I want waters to swim in, Lord. And He said, "You haven't even mastered the waters to the knees yet, son. You haven't even mastered that yet." I know that your heart is waters to swim in, but if, if you were to be thrown into waters to swim in right now, you would drown. Because it's still, I have decided that right now it's waters to the knees. And when I decide, I'll measure out the next 1500 cubits. But right now, you're in waters to the knees. Operate in that correctly. Glory. And my dad talked about this morning, and it could be unpleasant, and it can be hard, but the life of a pastor, mm -hmm. he said some hard things this morning about prayer at the church. But I, I believe it was 100% of the spirit. For one, I felt it, and two, the Lord didn't bring me to Ezekiel chapter 47 and then have me study it out and then not preach it for nothing. So for Tanner's personal life, son, you just deal with waters up to the knees right now. And when I see fit, I'll measure out the next 1500. Lord. And for the church, just like what my dad said this morning, we're not doing so good with water up to the knees. He calls a prayer meeting. We got a prayer meeting every Monday, and the prayer uh, the prayer meeting is not your own personal life. That's you you have Monday through Monday of the next week. The real thing for the prayer meeting is for the church. Yeah. It's for a new life worship center. That's what. The Lord put on my dad's heart. Now, he's made time in that span where there is prayer. You can have prayer for your own personal life. We need that. Mm -hmm. But the real emphasis for that is the church. That we should pray for the church. Yes. And we want to see, we want waters to swim in. All of us. But we, we, we're failing at waters up to the knees.
he's not going to measure out the next 1,500 cubits. Otherwise, we'd hurt ourselves. We would drown. And we'd be so prideful. He goes, we'd be seeing the miracle work and power of the Lord and waters to swim in, but yet, no prayer life. No seeking the leading and guiding of the Lord for every aspect of the service. It's not ju- it doesn't just fall on my dad as the pastor. That's just the easy way out for us. To just be honest. He's the, he's the pastor. He should be seeking the Lord. But he can't seek the Lord for praise and worship. He's not the praise and worship leader. He can't seek the Lord's face for specials because thank praise God he won't be saying specials. <laughs> <laughs> he can't seek the Lord for Sunday school. He's not teaching the Sunday school. He can only do what the Lord has given him directly, which is when he preaches and then the direction of the church as a whole. And then if God tells him, place this person here, place this person there, because that God's going to tell him. Mm-hmm. If God doesn't tell him to put somebody somewhere and then they put themselves there, it won't work. Because he is who God has chosen. So if the Lord Jesus is the head, and then the head chooses the under-shepherd. He's not going to just go, he's not going to bypass the under-shepherd. Because everything that God does is in an order and he operates within a government. God has, in, in the angelic host, there are ranks from top to bottom. There's a ranking. It's the same thing in, in church government. God's church, not denominational. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. God, God has an order that he works through. I think that you you did exactly what the Lord wanted, even though yes, it was hard, <laughs> and I felt it just as much as probably anybody else felt it, because we've been doing it in my own personal life about it. Uh, so thank you, first of all, thank you. That's more important to me that the mind of the Lord. That's the most important thing to me. Whether you say something that just backhands me right across the face, I can care less. So, thank you. But, if we we truly want to see waters to swim in, (laughs) then we have to operate correctly what he's measured out to us right now. Yes. So that way, 
whenever he wants to measure out the next 1500 cubits, we'll be ready. Yeah. We'll be ready. Good. Uh, there was a song <laughs> that I was totally reminded of. Actually, there was a part in the service where it was quiet and uh, everything on the inside of me just wanted to let it rip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I did not do that. The song is Feel Me Now. Mm. Oh,
I make sure to witness to at least five people every day. And I could just give you example, example, example. And over time, what will happen is, because it's not really God's righteousness, it's self-righteousness, that I'm because I do that, I am righteous. And if you do not, then you are not righteous. Sarah, you got there? It's 64, 64, 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The leaves, they're like real pretty at some times, and then other times, not so much. Down here, we don't see too much because it seems like we have like a month of winter. If it's a severe winter, we have a month. <laughs> if it's not a severe, we have like a week of winter. Winter, winter can come all in one week for us now. Yeah. <laughs> So that most of the time the leaves don't ever just you know, completely die off and fall off the tree. Um, but other places like where Brittany's from, Colorado, that happens. Uh, so our righteousness is just like the leaves. My Lord, sometimes it can look real good. And other times, not so good. <laughs> See, but the righteousness of God is perfection. Right. But we boast more in self-righteousness. I just would we'll just be be real. It's more self-righteousness than anything else. Well, because I don't do this, praise God. And I'll even give you one, even though I just told you that the prayer that, that what my dad says of the Lord this morning. Well, I'm right with God because I always have the prayer meeting on Monday. You see, even something that's good and truly of the Lord, we can turn it into self-righteousness. Because I do this, I'm right with God. But actually, Scripture and really what we've looked at already in Romans throws that out the window. Because it says that God's righteousness is perfect. And that's the righteousness that God demands. Perfect righteousness. Perfectly spotless. That means you can never fail one time. Well, none of you can do that. We're going to fail. We're going to blow it. We're going to mess up. So we can't, we, we can't achieve righteousness in that way. We can't achieve righteousness according to the law. Because the law says, do this, don't do that. In order to be right with God, do this, don't do that. And if you do something that you're not supposed to do, or you don't do something that you're supposed to do, then you no longer have that right. You're, you're, you're not righteous. And actually, you're worthy of death. Just from one thing. From your first breath to your last breath. Well, that eliminates uh, all of it. <laughs> but yet, we all agree that we have to be righteous. In order, to, in order to enter heaven, we must be righteous. Otherwise, we're all worthy of death. 
But God made a way that we can have that perfect righteousness. But it's not by doing. Because we've already established that if it's by doing, we're going to blow it. We're going to mess up. We're going to do the wrong thing and not do the right thing. So he's made a different way. And it's, uh, how do you say, uh, in Cajun, mo better. <laughs> it's mo better, shot. Yeah. Upon one's confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness is freely and instantly imputed by God to the believing sinner. It comes only by faith and trust in Christ. Dad, do you turn to, I'll just turn there, sorry. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace... Are you saved through works? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Oh. Through law-keeping. It doesn't say that. For by grace are you saved through faith. Amen. And that not of yourselves. Amen. It is the gift of God. And then I'll just go ahead and read nine. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God imputes his perfect, spotless righteousness to us. The one that he demands that you have. And if you don't, you're worthy of death. See, he makes a perfect demand that he... Righteous, holy, just, perfect. And none of us can meet that. So he says, I will provide. Jehovah Jireh. I will provide. And he's provided the perfect righteousness that you need. You can either accept the one that he's provided for you in Christ. Or attempt to offer up, as Sarah read in Isaiah, filthy rags. And that's not just before you get saved. You can even offer up filthy rags after you get saved. Only the righteousness of Christ is accepted by God. And all else will be rejected every single time. My Lord, it may not seem like it just from this section of teaching right here, but my Lord, that's good news. Because the righteousness that he requires, I don't have, but he'll freely give it to me if I just believe in Jesus. My Lord, and that righteousness will last for forever and forever and forever. 
My dad said it one time, he said that the righteousness that we have in Christ is the same righteousness that we'll have when we get to heaven. Because you can't get any better than perfect. Right. Right. Yeah. It can be a little hard. Right. Now you can, it doesn't mean that perfection can't grow. Because something can be perfect and then grow and still be perfect. But you can't have perfection in an attempt to gain something better than perfection. So the thing that's going to happen is in heaven we'll still have that perfection, but we'll just see it a lot more clear. And it'll seem like, wow, this is greater than we've ever had. No, you always had it, you just couldn't see it clearly. You saw it through a glass... So we just don't always grasp it. We don't always grasp what we truly have in Christ. My Lord, right now you have the perfect, spotless righteousness that God demands. Which means, and how would you get it? By faith. In Christ and what He did at the cross. If you have faith in Christ... And what he accomplished at Calvary, then God has freely given you his perfect righteousness. And that's how he sees you right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen, brother Ted Pastor. My Lord, that is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He has given you his perfect righteousness. And that's what you need. And you, there's no other way to get it but in Christ. There's no other way to get that righteousness. But that's what God demands in order for you to be able to be accepted. My Lord, you have it freely given to you in Christ Jesus. By preach. I'll shout myself happy. My goodness. I have everything that I need. Yes. Yeah, but brother Tan Pastor, and if you're, of course, if you're my wife. Yes, but uh, you failed yesterday, Tana. <laughs> you failed yesterday, Tana. I know you. I know you. I did. You darn right. I did blow. And then I repented. But I have his perfect righteousness right now. Right now. Because I blew it. But I, I still have a, a position in Christ. And I didn't lose that. The only way I lose my position in Christ is if I stop believing. But my condition in Christ, my the sanctification that needs to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's quite a bit lower than my position. I'll just tell you the truth right now. You don't need to live with me. I'll just tell on myself right now. My sanctification process is not that far along. I got a long, long way to go. And I'm not even close to the position that I have in Christ. But like Paul said in Philippians, I press toward the mark. Not that I have attained yet. I'm far from it. I have not attained. But I press... Toward the mark of the high calling, that's Christ-likeness. That's what each one of us have been saved for. Christ-likeness, not your ministry. 
Jane Pastor. Not your ministry. Not your job. You didn't get saved for that. You got saved to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is the high, that is the high calling. Christ likeness is there's no other higher calling than Christ likeness. Whatever the Lord has for me ministry wise will never be higher than the calling of Christ likeness. It's me that gets all mixed up sometimes. Preaching myself. I'm the one that gets all flipped and flopped. Christ likeness, that's the highest calling. Let me just flip this. So right before this, Paul is talking about people that boast in the flesh. They basically, their boast is all about who they are, what they do, where they came from. And then he gives a list of how if he wanted to boast in the flesh, he could boast in the flesh, but he refuses to do that because that's foolish. And then he says, yes, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. Everything that I was before Christ and rubbish, dumb, garbage, doesn't matter. Whether it was great in the eyes of man or whether I was a drunkard and a homeless person. Both dumb garbage and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith Lord. that I may know him that's talking about what he did at Calvary that I might know him. Everything that he accomplished at Calvary. The person and the work of Christ. I want to know it. I want to know everything that he accomplished at Calvary. And from right now. Until even when I'm in the portals of glory. I'm still. Oh that's the most waggish word. Even, <laughs> even when I've reached the other shore. My Lord, and I'm in his presence. Guess what I'm going to be learning more about. What he accomplished at Calvary. And what I have because of it. Mm. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. Now we're talking about sanctification. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The newness of life. The new power source. I've been crucified with Christ. Buried with him. Raised. Unto newness of life. That I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. Which makes it my resurrection. Because I was in him. When he was resurrected. He had a different power source. Praise God. You know where I was? In him. I have a new power source. We're talking about the new life. The new creation in Christ. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection in my own life. That I might realize and walk in the resurrection life on a daily basis. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's Calvary. His sufferings were Calvary. Being made conformable unto his death. Well, what have we just talked about in Romans 6? Know you not that you are crucified with Christ, buried with him, raised unto newness of life. So what Paul is saying that I would be conformed unto what's already happened, that I would start to live it out as though I have been crucified, though I have been buried, and though I have been resurrected. That I would start to live that out. And none of that has anything to do with who Paul was before Christ. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's not talking about. That's not talking about the rapture. Or it's not talking about that. That's talking about the new life that we have in Christ. We are crucified with Christ. Buried with him and raised. Again, I mean, we've, we went through this in, in Romans chapter 6. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. That word perfect could have just been mature. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm not claiming sinless perfection. I haven't reached that. And I won't reach that until the trump of God sounds and I'm no longer in this body. Then I'll be sinlessly perfect. But while I'm here in this body, that won't happen. But it doesn't mean that I don't press forward the mark. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We were apprehended by Christ in order to be saved, be transformed, and become Christ-like. So Paul says... I haven't attained that, but I follow after, I pursue after, that I may grab a hold of why I was, why he grabbed a hold of me. That I might apprehend the same way that he did me. Because Christ came and snatched us out of the kingdom of darkness. And Paul's saying, I'm trying to grab a hold of him just like he did me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, that's everything that he depended on before. I mean, he named the whole list of all the things of the flesh, circumcised of the eight. We can go read them. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, which just, he was a pure-blooded Jew, which if you were a Jew, boy, you boasted in that. Yeah. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the one tribe that never departed from Judah, unlike the other ten tribes that departed. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, he goes all the way back to Abraham, as touching the law of Pharisee. Basically, what Paul was saying is, the best of my knowledge, I've kept the law in every aspect. Concerning zeal, 
persecuting the church. I I have more zeal than any other person ever. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. According to the law, I was blameless. And Paul said that and he wasn't, that wasn't just words. He was, he was going to take the place of Gamaliel, the high priest at the time. Paul wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't no joke. But what things were gained to me, all of that, that I considered gained to me before and made me something in the eyes of God, those I counted lost for Christ. That Christ himself was greater than any of those things and got me more with God than any of those things ever could have gotten. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, Christ likeness in Christ Jesus. Verse 21, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? The idea is that there is nothing of any value which can come out of the sinful experience. Anything other than Christ brings about no proper fruit. The world of sin only brings about shame and disgrace. Without God, it is a world of immorality, lying, cheating, stealing, war, hurt, pain, loneliness, sickness, suffering, and every imaginable evil thing. So I'll just encourage you right there uh, to stay away from the life of sin. <laughs> uh, the next part. For the end of those things is death. The end results of anything other than Christ is always death. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin. I will break God. Amen. Amen, brother Tan, Pastor Milo B. Now, I see. I love. You just sometimes we just skip right over that word. Being now, right now, six oh eight oh nine p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. This is for you. But now, at 6.09 p.m., being made free from sin, at this exact moment, to now, not down the road, right now. Paul is saying here that this great work has been carried out and finished in totality by Christ and is now a fact respecting all believers. When Jesus died on Calvary, he not only satisfied the sin debt, but as well, he broke the dominion of sin over the believer. Right now, you have that right now. Most of the world does not take advantage of God's salvation plan. Likewise, most Christians do not take advantage of God's victory plan. Because right now, scripture says that right now, you have victory over the sin nature. Right now. You have victory over sin. Right now. But let's just be honest. How many of us actually walking in it perfect? But it doesn't mean that we don't have it right now. The problem is 
our faith. Our faith is more mixed than we can imagine. Brother Bob said that, and I tend to believe it more than anything else. The sanctification process is the process of God purifying your faith because it is a mixture of faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary and yourself and law and other things. It's a mixture. And it's got to be purified. And as it gets purified, you're going to see less sin in your life because... It's through Christ that we have victory over everything. And it's it's our faith that isn't pure. As much as we like to think that, well, well, my faith is only in Christ and Him alone. It's more of a mix than we think. But be encouraged. You're not alone. All of us are in that sanctification process. My faith is not, is not pure. Just because I can't see it right now. But my faith is not pure. It said in the book of Job, Job, God said that Job was, at that time on earth, there was no man more righteous than Job. But yet, through the circumstances and situation that Job went through, revealed some things about Job. And there's evidence in it because of all the things that Job said that he did do and he did not do. Yeah, but I never did this. I didn't do this. Why has this happened to me? I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I did this. I did that. Now, nothing against Job. Job didn't even know he had some faith in himself. It didn't mean that what God said about Job wasn't true. Because God doesn't lie. <laughs> Everything that God said about Job was totally true. And God allowed... Remember, we look at the book of Job. God allowed Satan... To get to Job. Because all God did was just use Satan as an instrument. Yeah, yeah. To sanctify Job. Yeah. To bring something to the surface that Job didn't even know was there. Just so God could just scoop it right off the top. And then now that I've done the work in you Job that I wanted to do. Here's back double. What you lost because you were faithful. It didn't say, Job, you were perfect. It said, you were, faith you were faithful, Job. Job just went through it. He didn't understand everything. But there was some flesh in Job. Some self-dependence in Job. Some faith in self that God saw and knew was there the whole time. God knew that was there even before he said that Job, there's, have you considered my servant, Job? God knew that all of that was in Job. And he still said, have you considered my servant Job? Praise God. He sees things in your heart that you can't even see right now. But yet his, his thoughts about you are still, have you considered my servant Brittany? Have you considered my servant, Robert? That weird it's calling you that. <laughs> Have you considered my servant, Jane? He sees the things in your heart that you don't even see. He sees the mixture of faith that you can't even see. But it does not make you 
not a servant or not a child. Because remember, you have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if if he allows a trial, just encourage yourself. If if God allows something like that to happen, not going to happen like what happened to Job was. Throw, just let you let your heart rest easy. It won't happen like what happened to Job. <laughs> if God allows it, then that that conversation happened in heaven between Him and Satan, and He yeah. said, "Have you considered my servant?" Mm-hmm. And Satan said, "And this is this will encourage you right here. How can I?" I can't even get to him or her because of the hedge that you have around them. My Lord, the enemy can't do nothing to you unless God says, okay. I don't know about you, but for me, that's good news. Okay, because I can't can't defeat him. I can't defeat Satan. He is greater than me. He's smarter than me. He's been around way longer than me. And if he wanted to, and he had free course, I'd be dead. But my Lord, there's a hedge around me. My Lord, God has placed a hedge around me and nothing is going to enter in to this hedge to cause harm in my life, in Sarah's life. Because she's in my hedge. Hello. We're married. We become one. Praise God. One hedge. And nothing's coming in to cause harm to me or my family unless God allows it. And if He allows it, it's for our good and our sanctification. And even when He does allow the enemy, He's on a leash. Because he said, yeah, you can get, okay, I'll let down the hedge, but you can't put a finger on Job. And if you look through the first part of that trial, nothing happened to Job directly. Everything was things that Job had or his family, but not healing personally. That tells me that there is a king on the throne. And even Glory. even Satan himself answers to that king. God himself. My Lord. Just let just encourage let that encourage you. My look, my God is in control yes. of everything, even even the bad things, yes. the things that hurt. He's in control even of the storms. That's the whole idea. When they're on the boat, and he tells the storm cease, he he's, he has control. He's in control of every storm, every situation, every circumstance that comes into your life. He is not surprised. He is not taken off guard. 
He's in control and he either caused it or he allowed it. And if he did, it's for your good. It's for your sanctification that your faith may be purified. And he wants to show you, he wants to show you something about himself that you have not yet seen. Hmm. My Lord, when I went through a storm in my life, it was hard, it hurt. But I just trusted him. Well, I didn't have a choice. I'll just be honest. I didn't have a choice. Otherwise, I would have ran. <laughs> but I just, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. It wasn't easy. I'll tell you that. It was not easy. Lord, I'm just going to trust you. And every step of the way, then I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. There was the person of the Holy Spirit right there with me. Helping. Helping. All along the way. Encouraging me. Encouraging me. Encouraging me. My thoughts about you, they are not for evil, but they are for your good. Mm. All along the way, encouraging me. It was hard, it hurt, but all I could do was cling. I got tired of wrestling, got tired of running, just clinging. And then, through all of that, I found out something about the Lord I did not previously know. Is that I don't need anything else to give me joy. Except for Him. That's why I can wake up every morning and sing at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. Because everything that I need to have joy, I've already got. Oh, Lord. Singing I go all my road. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. Mm. Everything that I'll ever need, I already have. I can wake up in the morning and have joy. I had joy. I had joy in my life when on the outside I didn't have anything. It didn't seem to me, it didn't seem like I had anything. People could have said, Boy, yeah, but you got this, and yeah, but you got that. And all of that, I'll just tell you right now, all of that wasn't where God was trying to get me. It was never where God, but somebody could have said, Yeah, but you got clothes. Why don't you praise the Lord for the clothes that you have? I did have clothes, but that wasn't where God was trying to get me. That scripture says that there's enough trouble. Uh, today he has enough trouble, basically. Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. don't be reaching forward to tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Or today has enough. Yeah. 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 But that, that's what a lot of that's what a lot of Christians do. I just, I just say the truth. A lot of Christians will reach forward to something that's coming. Like I, I could have, I could have. Reach forward to the fact that one day, you know what, one day the Lord is going to provide a wife for me. I could have reached forward to that. But that's not what God was trying to get me to. Yeah. But I'll tell you right now, a lot of people will, will tell you that. What's well, going to happen is right around the corner. It's right around. It might just be right around the corner. And it's good. They get this good heart. It's just trying to, they're trying to encourage you. Nobody, they don't want you to, they don't want you to give up. <laughs> But God wasn't trying to do, get me there. God was trying to get me to see that if it's not around the corner, 
I'm enough. Yeah. I'm always going to be enough. Even if it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now or never. I'll always be enough. And whenever God got me to that place where I was like, <laughs> and I, not just with my lips, though. I'm talking about walking in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, guess what? It really was right around the corner. Yeah. There she is. The blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord. Right there. More than I could ever ask for. And that was always his plan, but I got even more. Because I got him. Yes. 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 The believer can be free now without having to go through a long regimen of religious works. The terrible struggle that many believers are having with sin at this present time can be ended instantly, exactly as Paul said now. Yeah. The next part. And become servants to God. Slaves to God and not slaves to sin. Next part. You have, you have your fruit unto holiness. A holy life proclaims what God gives versus the fruit of the world. Paul describes the holy life as one involving an inner separation from those passions that bubble up from our sinful nature. Uh, we're not going to read it because it takes out Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 11 is a scripture reference. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit because he himself is the source of the holy. Right. New Testament holiness is always rooted in a relationship with Jesus, whom the Holy Spirit came to glorify, and with the Spirit, whom Jesus sends to be within every believer. Uh, next one. In the end, everlasting life. Presents the opposite of sin, which is death. Eternal life is eternal union with God by the cancellation of the eternal death penalty. Christ is our life, and we have him as long as we have him. Wow, that was so good. Christ is our life, and we have it as long as we have him. Yes. That's right. Amen. Amen. One person died. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Jesus is the bearer of everlasting life and as well the source of everlasting life. Uh, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Speaks of spiritual death, which is separation from God and is the lot of those who follow this precarious path. There are no exceptions though, for those who go the broad way. The word wages uh, in the Greek is oh, uh, don't worry about getting this down. I'm just going to give you the definition. Whatever is whatever is bought or purchased to be eaten with bread, such as fish or etc. That's what the word wages means in the Greek. It actually had reference to a Roman soldier and him being paid partially in money and partially in food stuff, food stuff. <laughs> The wages, the, the Roman soldier, soldier would have gotten their wages paid to them. It would have been partially money and partially food. Sin does pay, but its wages is death. Okay. Next part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul speaks of servants of iniquity. 
servants of iniquity, who lead a life of uncleanness, up beside the servants of righteousness, who lead a life of sanctification. The one service is shameful and ends in death, the other pure and ends in life. The believer does not earn eternal life, it is a free gift, as Paul says in this verse, and is from God. Its channel is Christ and his atoning work. God reckons the believer in Christ to have died with him. The believer is to reckon this to be true. He is therefore dead to sin, to self, to the world, and cannot therefore live in that to which he has died. He is associated with Christ in his death, and so freed from the dominion of sin. And he is associated with Christ in his risen life, and consequently becomes the bond slave of righteousness. Amen. Amen. And that is the end of Romans chapter 6.